0: You've heard me talk about the flywheel. It's the process of providing professional development, following it up with targeted observations, and then using observation data to drive the next round of professional development. As with so many things, while the concept is simple, execution is difficult. The flywheel will look different in different schools, and today's guest shares with us a highly developed and coherent version of the flywheel. I guarantee, I guarantee that you will leave today's conversation with a couple of really big ideas lodged in your head, ideas that I hope you will decide to act on. Hello, colleagues, and welcome to the Assistant Principal Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Frederick Buskey. We are all on a leadership journey. Every day, we have a chance to grow. Every day, we have a chance to help others grow. My goal and the goal of this podcast is to help you grow grow into being a strategic leader, a leader who puts people before purpose, who solves problems instead of treating symptoms, and who understands the difference between progress and action. Through this podcast, my daily email, and virtual programs, I'm working to build a network of inspired and inspiring school leaders. Let's get started on today's adventure and this unique opportunity to learn to live and lead better. Today, I'm joined by Craig Randall, a former principal and author of Trust-Based Observations, Maximizing Teaching and Learning Growth. Craig is here with us today to explore how to put trust into the observation experience. Hello, Craig. Hi, Frederick. How are you? I'm great. Can you tell me how you got to where you are today? Yeah, I guess I can. I think really, I mean...
1: I had a fairly eclectic educational background. I started out as a school counselor, actually coached on the side like we do, ended up college coaching as a detour for seven years, small college basketball coaching, and then uh, ended up going overseas and working at the American School of Warsaw, starting international school teaching. I think that's really maybe where it first started because one of the principals there suggested I get into administration to become a principal my first thought of course was the dark side never but then i was flattered after that and i thought well maybe i should do that and then i think really that's where it really hit me was when i took my supervision course i ran into the man that became my mentor warren aller and he was all about you have to be in classes every day observing teachers supporting them helping them grow asking them about what they were doing to help students learn what they might do differently and I think all my frustrations about observation and feeling like I was the only one went away, where I felt like I had an ally. And so, really, from there, I just uh, we would practice in his class. We would have 10 minute mini observations uh, where we would teach about anything, it could be about making a paper airplane, it didn't matter. And then we would immediately have a reflective conversation. And it would always start by asking, first, what were you doing to help students learn? And second, if you had the opportunity to reteach the lesson what what might you do differently and with that's still the core trust based observations, the reflective conversation it's starting with those questions and then I felt super confident in my ability to do observations. I think most supervision courses, you do a lot of talk but not practice and and we did in this different way and I got lucky and I had a my first assistant principal job, which was in Korea. I had the man that was the principal, was at the point in his career where mentoring somebody that was passionate was what really drove him. And I was super passionate about this. And I said, Hey, Dave, I have this great idea about observations. And he looked at me sort of skeptically and said, Yeah. And I explained it to him and he said, Great, let's do it. And so we did it together. And just immediately teachers responded overwhelmingly positively to being asked about their practice and listening to what we had to say, what what they were saying. And then we basically just shared evidence of what we saw. No ratings, no, no ratings or evaluations just shared it and then teachers gosh they just they embraced it and so really it just evolved and evolved and evolved from there to a point where I was at a school where the head teacher said will you show the other principals what you're doing and I was flattered and I was proud of my work and passionate about it and then one of the principals there said Craig, you got to protect your work. And I guess I was kind of oblivious and I just didn't really know what he was talking about. It's like this stuff you're doing, it's yours, it's work, it's your creation. And, and I thought, wow, maybe I should do a presentation. And so I presented at a conference and it went really, really well. And then I thought, wow, maybe I should write an article and I got accepted right away. And then then we ended up coming home. And one of the things about being overseas is you can save a little money. And so we had some money saved. And, and so I literally went to a coffee shop Monday through Friday every day and, and wrote a book. And, and of course, it came out during COVID. So it was a scary first year when I put all my eggs into this basket. But then last year, it, it, it I got, I don't know, 15 or so jobs. And this fall, gosh, I was I slept in my bed 12 nights from October, August 20th till December 10th. So that's how we got here.
0: So I, there are a couple of things I really love about that story. Um, the first is just the role that mentorship played for you. Oh, yeah. And I think probably when this podcast airs, we will just be coming out of February, which is a month where we're really focusing on mentoring, focusing on talking to audience members about my own mentoring experiences, but also the need to find good mentors, make sure you have them. And then to begin mindful of being mentoring to other people because that's critical.
1: I, that's a great point. And I mean, I think I just got lucky with finding Warren what, but now he's a dear friend and I, we talk regularly and and boy, the gratitude that I have for that man. I, every single time I talk to him, I just tell him, trust-based observations would not exist without you. And, and oh, I, honestly, I just, the love I have for that man in my heart, because it's it's how it happened and but yeah and then when you're like whether it's an assistant principal or principal your job is to support whether you want to call that mentoring or support or whatever it's it's to be there to help people and so yeah i got really lucky on that
0: well and also i guess that's the thing with mentoring is that mentors support us in the directions that we need to go where we want to go, right? They're not trying to shape us into mini-me's of themselves, and you can see that reflected, I think, in the in the observation process that you've developed. It sounds like, and I know we'll we'll dive into that, but is a process based on a partnership as opposed to me as an administrator just coming in and, and telling you what to do. And the other thing I want to point out to listeners on the front end, like, this is practice-based. This isn't something a university professor wrote in a lab somewhere. Like You developed this as an instructional leader, as an assistant principal, and then later as a principal in schools, and it's tested and it's real stuff.
1: I am a pragmatist. I'm not an ivory tower guy and, and I read some of the things that people write in some of their books. I'm not going to bring up names and, and they all sound great, but how manageable are they? How do you find the time to do all of them? And, and you, you do a lot of observations our way, but it's simple and it is supportive too, just talking on that other piece. It, it's it's about collegial dialogue about practice. It's it's not prescriptive. I mean, we have different areas of pedagogy we look at, but it's manageable and it's it's identifying strengths. And working from strength. It's it's completely different. And the results are different too.
0: Okay. So before we dive into it, I always yeah. like to start with celebrations. So what are you celebrating today?
1: Uh what am I celebrating today? Well, it's always nice when 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 you have some action with like I'm starting, I don't really think of myself as a businessman, but like now I have a business. I think of myself as a principal, but I, like I follow some of the Facebook's principal support groups and just yesterday someone posted uh hey I'm looking for a walkthrough form that might be I might be able to use. And so when I see those, I always reference mine with the link. And I'm lucky enough to have some testimonials from some pretty renowned people like John Hattie and Michael fullan And so I always reference like a quote from them as well. And Gosh, this morning and last night, I have, I responded to well over a hundred requests for the form. So uh, that's always just spreading the word a little bit, something worthy of celebrating, I guess.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Making a difference in the fields is so critical. So the outline of the conversation today will be, I'll ask you to share a story that explains a specific story that explains why you wrote the book and then. We'll break down some of the barriers on the front end because I can imagine listeners going, well, that may work there, but how is that going to work for me? Uh, And then look at the core strategies. And then I really want you to talk us through what the conference looks like that follows a trust-based observation. You did a little bit of that for me in our pre-meeting, and I was just really blown away. You're giving – the exact words and the steps and you're able to explain that. And I think that will be powerful for our listeners. So I want to make sure everybody sticks around when we for when we get to that point. So what's this what is a story or the story that really drives why you put the program together?
1: i just want to say one thing about the exact words because definitely we we definitely have what we go over and the way we do it but i also i also know that like there's reading programs out there from way back like success for all where it's exactly scripted word for word for word and this is not that at all like there's a framework where we're explaining how we're doing it and there's a there's a process for sure but i always want everyone to be themselves like frederick's going to be best doing it as frederick not using craig's words exactly and and so i just want to add that clarification because i think it's really vital too um so i mean i wish i had like in a way what i told you before is the story i don't think there was like this moment of like oh my gosh i've just like i've had it and i think like if we look at the problem with observation today and we we know we have research that shows it's not improving teaching and learning Uh, there's the gates foundation study that seven years 575 million dollars really they were doing danielson and it the the results were quote no no uh no sustained improvement and then the Annenberg foundation just came out with a study on a nine-year meta study of teacher evaluation and the results of that were again quote no improvement so if I'd known that was the issue and, and tried to develop something that was like, aha, this is it. I don't think I ever could have done that. I think really it just came down to just pre- like coming, stumbling across everything and, and then just seeing success and then it building and growing a- along the way.
0: So can you tell me one of those success stories maybe early on? Yeah, that, I can tell you. Were you were doing that and you're like, wow, this is really working. Yeah,
1: yeah, no, that's a, that's a great idea. Okay. And I will say maybe the, Maybe for my frustration about observation first though, I did have, I was just in the, in the midst of a two year period where I didn't get observed once by a really nice guy, but just did, wasn't involved and, and, and didn't put time into that. And that was super frustrating for me. So that definitely spurred my irritation with with that. I'll tell you early on, I had my very first year as an assistant principal. We didn't give, I didn't give feedback right away for a couple of reasons. One. What if I, even seeing them as much as we are, which is really a cycle of once every three or four weeks, I'm still seeing you less than 1% of the time. So I was afraid, what if I offer a suggestion on something you're good at, but I haven't seen it? What's that going to do? And I also didn't do it, if I'm being completely honest, because I was new and wanted to be liked and was a little afraid. (laughs) But as we first started doing it, around the third round through, at the end of the reflective conversation, just a whole bunch of the teachers started saying, okay, 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 but what can I get better at? And I didn't know it for the longest time, but that that was trust, is that they trusted me. And then at that point, it became okay. And then because they trusted me, what I found is they're willing to take, not just make little changes, but adopt something big and bold and new, take big risks to change and grow their practice. And so one example from my very first year was we had an advanced placement, micro and macro economics teacher. And those are difficult classes. And so he was a great guy. He had a good sense of humor. His content knowledge is off the charts. The kids liked him. He was getting around 20% of his kids were getting twos and ones, which is not passing. And, you know, maybe in some parts of the world for that kind of a class, that's okay. But we're in Korea where there's a literal corporate ceiling to how high you can achieve for big companies like Hyundai and Samsung based solely on the university you get into. And so the pressure on kids to achieve in high school and get great is it's, it's just off the charts. It's one of the reasons that Korea has the highest teen suicide rate in the world. And so, so there's a pressure on us then to help him get better as well. And so we talked to him and we I can't remember if it was us or me or whatever anymore, but but we talked to him about that and about what we could do to support it. And so I'm a huge fan of uh, cooperative learning, particularly Kagan Cooperative Learning. And I found uh, Social Studies, just a two-day Kagan Cooperative Learning workshop in the summer. He was going to be home in the U.S. for the summer, and I, I asked him about doing that. What would he even think? And he said, great. And he was, I'll tell you though, he was in his classes, he had the PowerPoint, he was at the lectern, I think we had 75 minute block schedules, all 75 minutes. And it was was that classic rote learning style, which you could say culturally fits with Korea, but the results were what they were. He came back from that, he had his whole room set up in these table groups of three, four, and five, and basically he was the guide now. And the kids in these teams and groups, he set it up so they were all basically teaching each other. And it was such a dramatic change for this guy. They've been teaching for twenty some years to do this. Next year, hundred percent pass rate. So, like, yeah. So that's one. That's one story of the effect of trust-based observations. The building of trust enabling a teacher to feel safe taking a really bold risk.
0: Yeah. Wow. There's so much to unpack just there, and I'm sure that a lot of times in in this approach, it doesn't have to be something huge. Like that's a dramatic example, but what you're talking about is that process of building trust. So I'm sure there's also a lot of situations where somebody improves in something minor, but it's the the same thing. You're still, you're building on that and you're building the trust. And when they see that success, that just fosters more trust. And what you're talking about is, is providing an environment where there's a willingness to take risks.
1: It's all about that. The whole goal of trust-based observations is to get to the point where teachers feel safe taking risks, where they know even if it doesn't go the way they want. It. it, We'll talk about that more, I think, when we go through the reflective conversation process. But it's absolutely vital. And I will say, like incremental change, though, is it's fine. And I think if sometimes if we were to look at a Danielson or Marzano rubric, that, that between approaches and meets or whatever language they, you know, it's all variants of the same language. Sometimes it can be like does it once in a while to does it a certain number of times every class period. And I'm not sure if that moves the needle for learning. And I think a lot of times it is about, and it's not as scary as you think once you've got created the conditions of safety, it's about adding new to your practice, which in a way is bigger and it might not be gigantic big like adopting something like cooperative learning but it but it is oftentimes adding new to your practice that you maybe just didn't know about like maybe even just formative assessment i always did teacher-led formative assessment but now i'm going to add peer-to-peer formative assessment so you could argue that's little or you could argue that that's a big thing but it's but oftentimes it's adding something new to practice that really makes a difference in outcome
0: so Craig, what are some of the barriers to trust-based observations? And I guess we can talk about I'm a, I'm a new assistant principal or maybe a new principal in the building and I'm coming in and I've listened to this podcast and I've gotten your book and I think I'm going to do this. But what are the barriers that I need to be aware of on the front end?
1: Well, I mean, it, it's certainly important as an assistant principal to, to have the, the support of your principal. So I think we it's really important that we're proactive with our principal and say, hey, I came across this like i did with dave way back when in korea it's like hey i, I have this way or I, I read this book about this way for the for your listeners and and so can i talk to you about it or or can i can i put you let to listen to the recording of the podcast and and explain why you think it's better and and so certainly i think engaging the cooperation of your of your principal is is absolutely vital i think uh, there's a lot of obstacles and, and, and unfortunately and and i'm in this for the long haul and i realize it's going to take time to do that but Current models require evaluative rating of pedagogy. And the research shows that as soon as we evaluatively rate pedagogy, there's a loss of relational trust between observer and observee. And then the result of that is teachers tend to play it safe, which means they're less comfortable taking risks and innovating to grow their practice. And so finding ways to manage if we're still in a requirement where many states like my own require us to do that. How how do we go about that? How do we manage the duality of that. And I'll just want to say really clearly that I am happy to engage in, in a Zoom conversation with anybody. They can email me, craig at trustspace.com about that, because we have ways that we've done that. And school leaders at different schools have finessed it really gracefully. And so I want to throw that out there. But that's a big one. Um, I think that along with the current models, they don't focus on strengths. And so they, there's always that sense of what's next or the but. and whenever we're doing that part whatever we say that's positive first they don't hear because all they're all the whole time all they're thinking is what's my rating what's the what are the things that they're going to do and we don't have to offer a suggestion every single time and even when we do for trust-based we have nine areas of pedagogy i always say pick the one that's going to have the greatest impact and we work in a sustained way purposefully in a supported way just on that one and so we're not always doing that. And so I think that's it. I think, um, gosh, I think that we that current models start by talking, not by asking and listening. That that so gets in the way. When we ask them about their practice first and listen, I, I think that does a, a a ton to change the tone and tenor of what observations are about. Um. Gosh, I mean, I think if you're if you're not using mine, I just think that the forms and when you have as many indicators as you do on many of these forms, it, it's research shows if there's more than 10 indicators on a form, as observers, we tend to lose the force through the trees. Teaching is is craft, but it's it, it, and and skill. It's also art and it's how we respond in the moment. And so if I'm so busy looking at all these things, I'm not seeing all the teaching. I'm just ticking boxes. Um I think sometimes as, as observers, we can be impatient and we have to, just like we want differentiation with our teachers, with our students, we have to differentiate with our teachers and we have to be patient and we have to know that trust takes time. Trust does not happen overnight at all. And and Different people have had traumatic experiences with uh, with observations to more or less degrees. Not everyone, but many people have. And we have to have an understanding of that and be patient to be able to support and realize some people aren't quite ready yet. And so let's just keep working on building trust. Some might be ready sooner. And so that's just using our emotional intelligence. So letting our own maybe eagerness, excitement, energy to get things changed right away. Sometimes, even though that's a great thing, it can get in our way. and then just, I think oftentimes like I, I read posts frequently and, and then they're, they're fine, but talk about like the importance of relationships and the importance of trust and okay, how, like, how do we, how do we build relationships? How do we build trust? We can, we can say those words, but without the how People are a little bit lost. And, and and I do think like the way that we go about doing the trust-based observations, it's super specific about giving you tools on how to build that trust. And so I think those are a, a lot of the obstacles that get in the way.
0: Yeah. So I just want to recap really in brief, I think the four yeah. or five things you talked about. So the the first step, if somebody really listens to this and and it makes sense. And it should if you're a listener, because so many of the themes that I try to hit on consistently, you are hitting on in a slightly different way, but you're exactly nailing so many important themes. So the first step is making sure that your admin, your leadership team is on the same page. And I would suggest, you know, one simple way is give them a link to this podcast and say, Hey, I listened to this podcast listen to it and and let's talk about whether that makes sense and then i'm sure we'll provide links
1: 100% agreed on that
0: yeah and then we can provide links in the show notes for yeah. maybe an article that really hits on the book that would lead them to the next step and also of course for the book so first is getting on getting together as admin that second thing is being able to really separate clearly the formal process versus what I'm assuming you refer to as maybe a little bit less of an informal process. Um, I, I know I try to advocate for language on observations because observations is a bit like grades in a classroom. Somebody comes home with a B on their paper and we don't really know what that B meant, right? And and so when we say we're doing a teacher observation, what does that mean? Is that a formal evaluative observation where I'm going to be ticking boxes and using a rating scale? So I think making sure that you're using language evaluative versus formative, or, um, you know, I use the terms also normative and performative, but being clear on where you're landing and what kind of observation you're doing. And then the third one is that patience and the patience to not jump in and to not give feedback because the listening is one of the most powerful gifts. And that's the step four is listen and and move towards a post-conferencing style where you hold back that you are not always in the mode of suggesting and that if you if you start to do those things then you will be starting to do build those relationships and there may be some other keys to that later but but those are the first steps to getting started did I hit that okay
1: I think so I I mean I think the the evaluative versus the non-evaluative. I mean, anytime we're having to do both, it's gonna complicate it. And and it's a it's a long haul process if you're in a district right now that that still requires that. But I will say there are ways around that. There's Finesses, and, and where you're still being legal, legally compliant, but you're finding ways to work that are really minimizing the inhibitors to trust that evaluatively rating pedagogy is. And like I said, I'm happy to engage in a conversation with the, that. I don't want to get into the details now, but, but yeah. So just, yes.
0: Okay. Excellent. So, what are the core strategies then for conducting trust-based observations?
1: It is, one, it's a continuous cycle of observations. It's not like once a year, twice a year, whatever it is. It, it's And we aim for once every three to four weeks. And that sounds like a lot. It, it's, it's not nearly as much as it sounds like because, one, they're unannounced, they're 20 minutes, there's no pre-observation conference. So we've taken that, we've taken one third of the process out before we even start because we don't have a pre-observation conference. And part of the reason for that is we, when it's an announced observation, that proverbial dog and pony show—it's the truth. I always, I always used to think, oh, that people just say that. People don't actually pull out lessons for that. I have talked to so many teachers that say they exactly do that. It, it's, it's shocking to me. But it's, it's not authentic. So how can, how can I support and help you when I'm not even seeing what's real? So we're seeing unannounced. They're 20 minutes. so We're seeing authentic teaching. Uh, we don't rate pedagogy. It's the form is manageable. There's only nine. Just core areas of pedagogy uh, that we have. Do you want me to go over those just real quick?
0: Yeah, let's do that. Okay. So there's. Oh, well, um, let me let me clarify too. When you say you you're not rating them, but you're collecting data. You're we, collecting observation data. What they say. Th- we what they do. We
1: use a we use a really specific form, and, and with those nine areas of pedagogy, and the, it's full of tables and pyramids, and so it allows us to be super specific when we do look for information. Like for example, just under formative assessment, we have who, who is it teacher, peer-to-peer or, or student self? Is it in the moment or is it planned for? Was it an observation, a conversation, an artifact of learning? So we've got tables that actually have little drop downs, and we click on each of those. And then we write the specifics of what we saw, like while the teacher was circulating the room, while the students were working on the project. And so that might be all we write, but it's so specific as opposed to a rating, it really, really is powerful for teachers to hear that information. Without ratings, teachers regularly say it means more to them to hear that than it does to say, wow, it was great. Yeah. So so the nine areas, the learning targets and all the different areas around learning targets, uh, teacher-student rapport and relationship, vital, classroom-student behavior management, classes don't function if you don't have that, Uh, cooperative learning, I'm a huge Kagan Cooperative Learning fan. I, I don't. I know there's no panacea, but boy, that's about as close to one as you can get in my book. Um, working memory, cognitive load. We really work on helping our teachers understand developmentally what the load is, and adding in purposeful reflection and processing activities to embed that learning or help them think about next steps or what they've learned in the last period of time. Questioning, higher order thinking skills, uh, formative assessment. Descriptive progress feedback and specific differentiation. So, just core stuff. Um, So, anyway, so the form is super manageable. We have that. Uh, We have timely, reflective conversations. uh, So, they're the next day um, and all the trust elements that go into it. And I I think maybe the best way to do that would be when we actually go over what one is about. So, I can point them out as we're talking about it. But it's, absolutely vital and the reflective conversation is where the magic happens we capture what we do in the observation and we get better and better at it the more we do it but it's the it's the conversation afterwards the next day is where the trust is built where teacher where we get teachers to feel safe so they do embrace taking risks
0: this concludes part one of our interview with craig randall we talked a lot today about taking a systems approach to observation and feedback It was a bit of a 40,000-foot view, but the big idea is that we need to be systematic and intentional in the observation process, and that establishing trust is a foundational step. In next week's conversation, we'll dig into the actual post-conferencing process, and while that episode will feel more applicable to your leadership, the power of that process rests on the foundation of what you've heard today. Craig is describing a version of the flywheel. Provide PD, observe, use the data to figure out what comes next. And while next week's show will leave you saying, yes, I can do this, the power of the post-conferencing lies in how it fits within the system. So what do you do with today's show? If you work in a school that has a structured ILT, I'd like you to think about the strengths of the team and what it will take to implement a process like Trust-Based Observations. If you're in a school that does not have a structured ILT, forward this episode to your principal and begin the discussion. If you are the principal and you aren't sure where to start, email me at frederick at and we can schedule a time to talk. I mean that. I mean it sincerely. You don't have to be alone. And if you're passionate about instructional leadership and you're not sure where to start, just reach out email me at frederick at and we'll walk the journey together. And speaking of the journey, thank you for including me on yours. Remember that you can walk more with me by subscribing to my daily leadership email at my website, frederickbuskey.com. I look forward to seeing you again on Friday when we recap this week's daily emails. I'm Frederick Buskey, and thank you again for joining me on this week's episode of the Assistant Principal Podcast. Cheers.